so we see these images and we're reminded of the conflict in our world spurred on by religion. Maybe you saw images of people you consider villains or people you consider heroes. And then this series called Love Where You Live, it's one thing to love people who vote differently. It's one thing to love people who look differently, but how are we supposed to love people who believe differently? Even people who might oppose us. I want to take you back in time, 15 years. Where were you on September 19th, 2001? Some of you aren't old enough to remember the fall of 2001, but if you are old enough, you'll remember exactly where you were on September 11th. You remember those images of planes turned into bombs, trade center collapsing, so many killed. It was a day we'll never forget, the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil. And right in the midst of that, there was a a blur of sadness and mourning and anger and Right in the middle of that, I realized that I was to travel a week later with my wife and our two-year-old son to New York City from Los Angeles. And I was speaking at a youth retreat, and I thought for sure it would be canceled, so I called the pastor to say, hey, so sorry about what's happening, and you know, I understand if we need to cancel, and he said, no, no, we actually need you now more than ever. There are people in our church who are still missing, who worked in the trade center. We need someone from the outside to come and give us hope. That was not what I had hoped to hear. Now I was afraid, and I went to my wife, and I thought maybe I could use her and my son as an excuse not to go. He's only two, and she doesn't like flying, even before the terrorists, so she readily admitted, yeah, I don't want to go, but she said but shouldn't we at least pray about it? She's so darn spiritual. (laughs) And so I agreed, let's pray about it. And at that time, what would Jesus do was kind of a phrase that was popular. And I reminded her that Jesus would not go. (laughs) Because when Jesus walked planet Earth, there were no airplanes, so he would not fly from Los Angeles to New York, well, that was just another, the last of our flimsy excuses. Deep down, we knew that we were supposed to go. We needed to go. But we did come up with a plan, an escape clause, that if at any point along the journey, we didn't feel comfortable or safe, we could just opt out. We would just cancel. And as the days got closer, everything seemed to be going okay. We were resolved in this trip, and then we get to the airport four hours early. And we were flying at about the same time of day on the same airline between the same cities, LAX and JFK. And once we walked into that terminal, that's when we started to really get anxious. There was a man pacing back and forth, seemed to be very, very nervous. And he was singing at the top of his lungs, maybe to calm himself down, but it was freaking everybody else out. And he looked like he was from the Middle East. One of his friends came over trying to calm him down and After walking past him, we get in line to check in our luggage, and the two men in front of us also looked like they were from the Middle East, and they had wrapped their luggage in cellophane multiple times, which I thought, how are they going to be able to check their luggage? This can't be right. And my wife turns around and with fear in her eyes says, doesn't this this seem suspicious? Now, there's something really great about marrying a woman prone to anxiety. She says out loud what I'm actually thinking. So it puts me in the position of being the courageous one, even though I'm terrified internally. 
And so I tried to encourage her. I said, you know what? These men are probably not from the Middle East. And I said, in, in worst case scenario, they get on the plane, they have, they have bad ambitions, the air marshal will shoot them. Well, that did not comfort her at all. <laughs> a gun going off in a plane did not sound like a, the best case scenario. And, and so then I said something I, I regret saying. I, I said, you know what? I bet they're not even on our plane. A few minutes later, there they were sitting at the same gate along with a fifth gentleman who seemed to be looking over his magazine at the others. And now, suddenly, these two pairs were no longer sitting together. The five men were separate. Well, my wife decided, that's it, escape clause. She goes to the flight attendant, says, you know what? We don't feel comfortable getting on this flight. We'd like to wait till the next flight. And this flight attendant said, I'm sorry, but your luggage is already checked in. You must travel with your luggage. Well, for the next two hours, we tried to calm each other down, reminding ourselves this is what God wanted us to do. And We start to get on the airplane, and if you've ever traveled with two-year-olds, you know that alone should have been the reason to cancel this trip. (laughs) We're carrying all these bags and a stroller, and our son at the time, he had just gone through open-heart surgery, and so he's still eating with a feeding tube, so he had a bag with a tube that was connected to his stomach, and I'm trying to carry him in this bag, and we're trying to check in the stroller, and we finally walk into the plane, and we notice down as we're getting closer and closer to our seats, it was one of those planes that had two seats, four seats, two seats. On either side of our seats were the four men we'd seen in the terminal. My wife's seat was right next to the nervous singer. As we got closer and closer, he seemed even more nervous than before, sweat coming down his forehead. He jumps up as we get closer, and he runs to the back and starts asking the flight attendant these questions that made us even more nervous. Is there any way I could sit near the front of the plane? I heard it's safer at the front of the plane. Then he asked, how many gallons does this plane carry of gas anyway? Well, that was it. My wife escaped claws again. I'm, I'm not flying on this plane. So she walks right past her seat, goes to another flight attendant. And this flight attendant, I don't think had been trained in crisis management. She was more afraid than my wife. She said, yeah, I don't even know if I want to do this job anymore. That's not what you want to hear. Well, another flight attendant overheard and came over and told my wife, you're going to be fine, miss. You just need to have a seat. You cannot get off this plane. Your luggage is already checked underneath. Everything will be fine. Well, she's crying. I'm about to have a panic attack. My son is oblivious to all that's going on. And and we just sat there. And one of the men was no longer next to us. He had moved to the front of the plane. We just knew something horrible was about to go down. And all of a sudden, we realized we were being held hostage by American Airlines. (laughs) We couldn't get off the plane until finally another flight attendant came over. She said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to ask your family to leave. You're scaring all the other passengers. (laughs) I thought to myself, we're scaring all the other passengers. Well, we got off that plane. We made it onto the next flight. And the flight that we left, they made it safely to New York as well. And I can't help but think that those men who we thought were terrorists were probably more afraid than us. In fact, I wonder if they went back to their families and said, you won't believe it, we were on this flight, and there's this crazy, bald, white guy (laughs) with a kid with tubes coming out of him. I think he was a skinhead. (laughs) By the way, I am not a skinhead, I am just follically challenged, in case you were wondering. But we made it to New York City, and we mourned with the rest of the city. In fact, we came across some, and I brought some pictures of makeshift memorial that we saw. And as we pushed our son, two years old, in his stroller around the city, 
He was so excited every time he'd see an American flag. And he would say, look, but his English, you know, he was just learning English, so it didn't come out quite like that. Instead, he'd point at every single flag, and there were lots of flags, and he would say, Allah, Allah, Allah. Caleb, be quiet. This is not the time for that. I wonder, have you ever allowed fear to get in the way of getting to know someone? Have you ever made assumptions about another person that kept you from getting to know them? See, last week, Tasha reminded us that God's love is for all peoples, every tribe, every nation, every people group, every ethnicity. The scriptures that Jesus studied, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, nine times describe God's character this way, as in Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Over and over and over, from the beginning of the Scriptures to the end, we discover God's heart for all of humanity. He chooses Abraham in Genesis 12 and says, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing, and all peoples, all tribes on earth will be blessed through you. And then the end in Revelation chapter 5, the scriptures say the angels sang a new song to Jesus saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, God's love extends beyond the people of Israel in the Old Testament and beyond the church in the New Testament. God's love is greater than our love for the people around us. Now, many of us in this room, we believe this. And there are others of you in this room, you're not quite sure about God, but you can respect this idea that we believe in a loving God. But I wonder, do we really live this out? Not just a theoretical, we love all of humanity, but do we really? Are we willing to love others that most people are unwilling to love? Is there anyone in your life that's beyond your love? Is there anyone that you're too busy to spend time with loving? See, we can express love when we meet the needs of those around us. See, for some of our neighbors, loving them might simply be an invitation to dinner. Loving them might mean getting to know their story and discovering ways that they need help, ways that we could serve them. How can we meet the needs of our neighbor if we don't even know what their needs are, if we don't even know what their names are? Like we discussed last week, it takes work to build relationships, and we're too busy, too consumed by life to stretch. Michael pointed out it's easier to watch Hulu than meet our neighbor. It's even more complicated because our neighbors are from all over the place. If you grew up in Austin or moved here a while back, you know our city's not the same city in which you grew up. It's not the same city you moved to. Did you know that Austin is the 11th largest metropolitan area in the United States? Did you know that we double every 20 years? And yet our Asian population doubles every 10 years. Most of those are from India. 20% of those who live in Austin were actually born overseas. That means the live music capital of the world is more cosmopolitan than the United States in general, or even Texas in, in general. And if you're watching in Branson, you might not know this, but the people that live in Branson right now, 50% of them won't be there in a year. So much transition. That means there's some urgency in serving our neighbor. 
Or if you're watching online in Australia or Europe or Brazil, you know that our cities are not the same because of immigration, the people who are moving. So here in Austin, as, as things change so rapidly, not only is our Asian population doubling every 10 years, not only is our population doubling every 20 years, but did you know that Texas leads the nation in the size of its Muslim population? In fact, there are 20 states where Islam is the largest non-Christian group, including Texas. In fact, there are just as many Muslims in Austin as Presbyterians. Some of you are like, what's a Presbyterian? <laughs> it's a Christian denomination. Now, here's what's really remarkable. As a result of all this growth, Austin is now a majority-minority city. There's a chart I wanted to show you. There's what this means is there's no ethnic or demographic group that exists as a majority of the city's population. Now, I, I'm, I don't want us to debate immigration policy. We're not here to talk about what laws should be in place and how should our government treat those who want to move here. I want to talk about how should we treat those who are already here. And so, God gives us great insight into how we should treat the foreigner, the alien, the immigrant, listen to these words in Leviticus chapter 19. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Amen. Or later in Zechariah chapter 7, the scriptures say, this is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. Those of us who follow Jesus should not think evil of others. We should be leading the way and loving the most unlikable people. We live in a world where we're experiencing the second largest migration in the history of our planet, second only to right after World War II. Because of the civil war in Syria, millions of people are fleeing. In the year 2000, I had a chance to travel the Middle East with some friends of mine on a go trip, much like we are sending out this summer. And we had a chance to go to Cairo, Egypt, and Beirut, Lebanon, and Istanbul, Turkey, and even Damascus, Syria. One of the most memorable moments as we walked the streets of Damascus, we were surrounded by these teenagers. Not knowing Arabic, they didn't really know much English. At first, it was a little bit intimidating as they surrounded us and got closer and closer and stopped us, and then we realized they were wanting to meet us. They'd never seen Americans before. And they invited us into their homes. We had such a tight schedule, we couldn't do that, so instead we let them take our picture. It was like we were famous, and we took their pictures. In fact, I have a picture. That's me with the glasses, and those four in the front are these Syrian teenagers. The one in the winning team, you can tell, is very cool. <laughs> but they were so excited to meet us. A year later, when the tragedy of 9-11 takes place, we heard that Syria was one of the countries considered part of the axis of evil. And when there are evil governments, we forget that many of the people within that nation are the actual very victims of those evil governments. And so here we are in a world where Syrians live here in Austin, and my wife, Deborah, back in April, hosted a party for some of these refugees. It was organized by Kala and Shala, and these women came and shared dinner 
in our backyard. And their children jumped on our trampoline. And then they had a Syrian dance party in our living room. I was not there. Men were not allowed. But one of the most amazing things that happened is Kala told me about a conversation she had with Saba. Saba met with her later along with Shala and they shared coffee. And during that coffee, she said, I want to help you help my people. See, she was so touched that she finally had American friends that that there's a place called Gateway that would throw this party for them in a time when they feel ostracized and don't know where to go. This week, Kala is meeting again and giving her an Arabic New Testament she hopes to read with her. Maybe this sort of thing stirs in your heart and you want to be involved in helping refugees. There's a way to do that. Just go to gatewaychurch.com slash refugees and join in what we're doing. But some of us struggle to get involved and it's hard to engage when we don't understand the people around us. And, and maybe you're afraid of people who are different or maybe you're afraid they might ask you questions you don't know how to answer. You don't have to know all the answers. All we have to do is be a friend to those who don't have a friend. Some of you are thinking, okay, I get it. I need to love my neighbors even if they're from different parts of the world, but what if they're from California? <laughs> Did you know that 14% of those who moved to Austin are from California? Now, did you also know that that's not the state that's flooding Austin? That actually 67% of those who moved to Austin are actually from Texas. Not only do we have to love Californians, we have to love Texans. (laughs) See, here's the thing that, that God wants to do in your life. See, some of us think we get it. Love our neighbors. We've heard that our whole lives. We try to do that. But I want you to know that if you feel like you've already arrived, you're missing what God wants to do next. See, God wants to do something new in you and through you beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. That if you were just to to follow that prompting, that next step, maybe instead of waving, you could walk across the street and say hello. See, you would be amazed if we were just to, to respond to what God puts on our heart, to start loving our coworkers and neighbors, even those from different places across the planet that that conversation might turn into an opportunity to one day pray with them. And one day they might look at you and say, why are you so kind to me? What's, why do you seem to have so much hope? And that's when we can tell them about the Jesus who's changed our life. See, you and I have not arrived. God wants to do so much more in us, but we have to be willing to follow that prompting. See, spiritual maturity is not about how much we know. It's about how fast we're willing to obey those promptings God places in our heart. See, God's at work in you. God's at work around us. Some of you are here, and you you struggle to believe in God. You struggle to trust in God because there are so many world religions. And I want to just say that the fact there are so many world religions actually proves that deep down inside we long for something to believe in. But I wonder if you're, you're out there and you think, you know what, I just have trouble with all religions because all religions seem to try to control people and lots of evil has been done in the name of religion and, and religion seems to be a man-made attempt to get to God. Now you might be surprised to hear me say I actually agree with you. 
You see, religion is man's attempt to get to God, but see, Jesus is different. He is God who came to us. See, Jesus did not come to start a religion. There is a worldwide religion called Christianity inspired by Jesus, but Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He started a revolution, a revolution of the soul that transforms us from the inside, and through us, others are transformed. See, some of us are just religious and we keep trying to get to God. We keep trying to do the right thing and instead we're covered in guilt and shame. We cannot seem to live this life. And guess what? We don't have to. In our own strength, we cannot possibly be the person that God created us to be. But with a relationship with God, through Jesus, everything changes. See, Jesus started a a revolution and humanity turned it into an institution. But I want to invite you into a relationship with God that's real and vibrant, where you hear his voice. You see, God came to rescue us. He lived a perfect life. He taught with authority. He brought healing to the people around him and ultimately died on a cross, taking on the sins and wickedness of humanity, all that came before him and all that has come after him. And he was buried in a tomb, but he did not stay there because love conquered death. Don't you see that Jesus began an invisible kingdom, a kingdom not advanced by war and conflict, but a kingdom advanced by peace and love and faith. It's through you and me, those of us who said yes to follow Jesus, that this invisible kingdom advances. See, he came to start a new kingdom made up of men and women from every tribe, In fact, there are people in this kingdom whose background is Judaism and Hinduism and Buddhism, Islam, and even Baptist. (laughs) Anyone who sheds religion and says, I need what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. I need his forgiveness. Steps into a new kingdom. I wonder, are are you holding on to religion? Are you ready to let go of that guilt and that shame? To say, yes, I need what you give so freely, Jesus. So that through me, others might come to know you. See, some of us struggle to trust God. We think there's just so many different religions and there's people that have never heard of Jesus. There are people all around the planet that don't have the opportunity that you and I have. But here's what's amazing. See, God loves humanity more than you and I do. There's a scripture in Acts 17 where Paul stands up in front of this very spiritual city called Athens, and he points out something remarkable. Listen to this in Acts 17. He says this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. See, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. See, some of us have been trapped in religion. We think that God needs us to do something. He's saying, you don't understand, I've already done it for you. You are so valuable 
It literally tells us here that every single person that's ever lived on planet Earth actually lived in the exact time in history and were put on the exact place on the planet where they had the best opportunity to find him. I could tell you story after story. You've even heard some of people in India who had never heard of Jesus that had a dream about Jesus. People in the Muslim world, people in Eastern Europe, people in Africa that have discovered faith in Jesus. See, those of us in this room, it's not an accident that you're here today. Those of you watching online, it's not an accident. There have been moments in your life that brought you to this place that you might hear you are loved so much that God has a purpose for your life. So much so that he gave himself for you and me. I just want to do something maybe a little bit different. If you're in this room and you have a relationship with Jesus, I want, to think of, I want you to think about that person that helped you follow Jesus. Can you see that person in your mind? Just out loud, just all at the same time, tell us the name of that person that helped you follow Jesus. Who was that person? All these different names. I want you to think about this for a moment. God loves you so much that he brought that person into your life that you might find him. It's not hard to realize then that God loves the people around you so much that he brought you into their life. See, we can know that God loves all the nations because he's bringing many of them here to us. And he's sending us out to them. So you and I are invited to be a part of this invisible kingdom to advance faith through love and peace and kindness. The question is, are you willing to just simply start by loving your neighbor, no matter how different they might be? I want to hand it over to our campuses. But for those of us in this room, those watching online, I want you to consider your next step. Maybe for you, it's, there is a neighbor you know you've just been too busy to reach out to and love and serve, and this week, act on that. Or maybe you're here and you realize you heard Kala talk about being baptized next week, and something inside of you, you know that's you, that you've said yes to Jesus, maybe even today, that you're tired of religion and you want to show the world that you've died to your old life and you're going to live a new life, baptism might be your next step next Sunday. Or maybe you're ready to move out of anonymity into community by going through Starting Gate, this tour we do right after the service. Or Engage, a lunch we're doing in just a couple weeks. Or maybe you want to discover more about Jesus. You can go online. We have so much to show you that he is God. He is here to rescue us. Gatewaychurch.com slash foundations. Or pick up the next steps. Gatewaychurch.com slash next steps. Or a book I wrote called Not Like Me. These are resources to help you learn how to love the people around you.